couple of weeks back with, um, with various uh, things happening, I really felt that um, I wanted to talk a little bit uh, on the whole subject of grace. This comes on the back of one or two events and um, people getting upset about things they really didn't need to get upset about and uh, you know, some people saying some stuff which... Um, well, you know, if I say that it was heretical, uh, it wouldn't be too far a stretch. And I just wanted to make sure that we were properly grounded, uh, you know, in our whole understanding of the nature of grace, which is why I've taken a little bit of departure this morning from Luke's Gospel, and we're going to be in Ephesians. So if you want to follow this in your Bible, I'm in Ephesians chapter 2. And we're going to consider a little bit the whole theme of grace. This is quite a long reading, so prepare yourselves. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Um, I want to, so I'm really going to get into the, uh, uh, the scriptures there in a moment, but I want to say something 
um, before we get into that, on the general theme of grace. Um, and I want to say now, uh, one of the points that I'll make later on is that we are both recipients of grace and franchises of grace. In other words, we receive it, but we are also franchised to give it, to be distributors of it. And this is important, and I'm saying this now rather than when I get to that point, just in case people who are listening to the podcast get bored and switch off. Because I want you to hear this. I want everybody to hear this. I have been honestly shocked and appalled in a way that I have never been before at some of the things that Christian leaders have been putting over the internet with regard to the EU referendum. Shocked and appalled. Now listen, we all vote the way we vote for a reason, okay? And we don't want to undermine each other's thinking, our reasons, our convictions. We, as a church, we have never pushed a political point of view. Uh, We've never pushed a a particular party. It would not be right for us to do that. I have never told you how I am going to vote. I've been quite happy to talk about it after we've all voted and tell you my reasons. But I, I have never pushed a political agenda, and we never will. The only time we will enter into that realm is if it is something where clearly there are moral values at stake or spiritual values at stake. Okay? So uh, that, that's where we stand on this. Uh, this is not a political statement. This is an appeal for Christians to behave like Christians. Now, I, I have interacted with a number of people who... So first of all, you've got people saying ridiculous things. Now, we've not been helped in this by our politicians because the, the debate was completely useless. Okay. If you'd have listened to the debate, then you would have been believing that if we left the EU, there will be a zombie apocalypse and our island will sink into the sea. Seriously. I mean, that, that was the level of debate. I haven't heard a single debate, and I've looked around, that had made any sense, that had any real integrity about it. It was just nonsense. So we've not been helped in this. But after the, after the vote, after it's all been done, for Christian leaders to be putting on Facebook that you clearly don't love the people in Europe if you voted to leave. You clearly don't care about your children if you voted to leave. You don't care about their futures. To tell us that we're idiots if we voted to leave. And a lot of people, a lot of Christian leaders have been making comments, some of them more politely than others, which basically say that, um, you know, if you're over 40, okay, you really shouldn't be voting because you really have no idea what you're talking about. You really shouldn't be voting because it's not your future that's at stake. Listen, I have children and grandchildren, and I expect my grandchildren to have children. Please don't tell me I don't care about them, okay? It's it's totally unfair, okay? And it's an insult. And, you know, I'm just, I am appalled at some of the things that have been said. If you want to disagree with people politically, that's fine. Do it graciously. You don't have to insult people to disagree with them. If you think it was a bad decision, then feel free to say so. But say it graciously. Don't insult and undermine everybody else who didn't agree with you. You know, it's just not right. It's ungodly. It's sinful. You know, and uh, if you have been involved in any of that, you need to repent of it seriously, because it's not right. It's not good. Now, I'm really thrilled this morning with the Anglican Church, because. (laughs) 
because the, the, um, the Archbishop of Canterbury and the uh, Bishop of York sent out a joint statement, which is the best thing I've read post-referendum, which has encouraged us all as Christians not to be critical of each other, not to be undermining each other, not to be insulting each other, but standing together and to see the purposes of God come to this nation, whatever the political landscape looks like, and to be praying in the purposes of God. And listen, here is the thing, and then I'm going to move on. If you prayed over this referendum, and I hope that you did, then you should have been praying, God's will be done, because that is what Jesus taught us to pray. Not my preference be done, not my political convictions be done, but God's will be done. And if we have prayed that and prayed it in faith, guess what? We ought to be believing that what happened was God's will. Now that doesn't mean, you know, that God is uh, into the, you know, the politics of all of that department. There are some very scary things, you know, about all of that. I'm not saying that God, you know, would um, want to uh, attach himself to any of that, okay? But we must believe that if we've prayed and prayed in faith that the result is God's will and that God will take whatever that is whether, it, whether we see it as good, bad, as indifferent that God will take whatever that is and work it for our good and so our role now is to rise up in unity and stand with one another and work together to bring unity not just in the church but in our communities so that together we can move forward and see the kingdom of God come Okay, and stop all this nonsense. All right, and if you want to have a political conversation, have one, please do, but be gracious. Okay, be nice to each other. That's the deal, because that's what God calls for. You are a recipient of grace. You are also a franchise of grace. You have received it in great measure, as you'll find out in a minute, and you are also required to give it in great measure. Yes. Okay. So Paul starts out here. Okay, you can, if you're listening to the podcast, you can feel free to switch off now. <laughs> Paul starts out here. Uh, he says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we once all lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind that is the story of your life before Jesus it's the story of my life before Jesus for sure we, we were living and still live in uh, a culture which is essentially anti-godliness anti-holiness we live in a culture which actually draws us continually and speaks to us continually about doing things that satisfy our carnal nature and not things that please god that's where we live now that's where we lived before we were saved only before we were saved we were just being led by those thoughts and those feelings and those arguments and we were living lives that were opposed to the will and purposes of god and lives that were an offense to god that's you and me Hello? That's every one of us. Paul says in Romans, doesn't he, that everybody has sinned. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us were in that place. And we were following the ways of the world. Sometimes I'm tempted to ask, you know, uh, uh, did we actually leave <laughs> the ways of the world? Because sometimes it's very difficult to distinguish the way the church thinks and behaves from the way the world behaves. And this stuff over the the referendum would be a classic case of that. But we were following uh, 
the dark prince. We were in disobedience. And the rest of the world still lives there. Now listen, this doesn't mean that they're demonized, as some would want you to believe, but certainly the demonic in the world has an influence on the way people think and behave towards one another. And we were lost in that. Our lives were an offense to God. We were living to satisfy our own carnality. And Paul says that because of that, we were children of wrath. Our rebellion was fully deserving of punishment. Hello? It's it's not a popular idea these days, is it, that if you do something wrong, you get punished. You know, if you do something wrong, we don't punish you. We have a nice little chat about it, and then we pat you on the head, and away you go. And we we kind of learn to live with no expectation of there being consequences for our behavior. But there are consequences for our behavior. And there still are. You know, even if you're sitting here this morning and you're saved and you're giving every effort to walking with God, there are still consequences for the way you behave. There still are. Um, And that was us. That was the place that we were in. We were also blinded by the world. We were unable to see and understand uh, God and Jesus and and everything that is important uh, about him. We were unable to really reconcile those things within ourselves because the world had got us blinded by working through our own selfishness, our own carnality, and keeping us in the dark. But then Paul uses two words which change everything. He says, but God. You were lost. You were digging a, a pit for yourself, which if you left your own devices, you would ultimately have buried yourself in. But God, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised up with him, and seated, he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love, made us alive in Christ. Because of his grace. Now, let's be very clear about what that means. It wasn't about you. It wasn't about what you could do. It wasn't about what you're able to do. It was God. But God, when you were lost in your sins and totally unable to help yourself because you were lost in your own selfishness and carnality, God intervened. But God, who is faithful, who loves you because of his great mercy, because of his great love, he reached into your life. And even though you were undeserving, even though your back was turned to him, even though you were determined to walk away from him and just please yourself, he reached into that miserable situation. He shone light into your darkness. And by his wonderful grace and his love and his graciousness towards you, he saved you and pulled you out of it. It's not because you suddenly decided you were going to be good. People have tried that. It doesn't work. If we could change ourselves, we would all be better than this by now. Hello? Seriously. If you could change yourself, you would be different to what you are now. But you can't change yourself. You can't do anything about it. And the sad fact is, you didn't want to do anything about it. I didn't want to do anything about it. 
I, I got, I've shared this testimony with you many times, I'm sure, but you're going to get it again. I got saved because I was, I was hell-bent on doing something sinful. Hello? I got saved as a 17-year-old because I was invited to go on a youth weekend and the only reason I went on the youth weekend was there was a girl going that I was intending to get into bed. Seriously, that was my only reason for going. And God arrested me. God jumped into that pit of darkness that I was digging for myself and shone a light in it and my life was changed. It wasn't down to me. I wasn't even looking for it. But thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that he came looking for me. I was lost and Jesus found me. And he shone light into my life. And he did all of those things that I couldn't do for myself. Why? Because of his great love. Because of his great mercy. Because of his grace. Grace means unmerited favor. It means that God did something for you that you do not deserve. It means that God did something for you that you cannot earn. Okay? Let's put it simply. You were completely stuffed. And there is nothing you could do about it. But God intervened in His grace. And He changed it all. He changed it all. He raised our dead spirits to life in Christ. And He seated us with Him in heavenly places. What an incredible thing. Now, by grace. Let me just read you what um, a chap called Mounts, who is an excellent theologian, wrote in his uh, dictionary of New Testament words for the word grace. It's the Greek word charis. It appears 155 times. And here is the list of things that it means. A matter of approval, a beneficial opportunity benefit, a charitable act, generous gift, an act of favor, acceptance, free favor, free gift, free favor, specially manifested by God towards man in the gospel scheme, a gracious provision, a gracious scheme, gracious dealing from God, a commission graciously devolved by God upon a human agent, grace graciously bestowed, divine endowment or influence. Did you get all of those things? Okay, the important thing to really remember about that is free blessing from God. You cannot buy it, you cannot earn it, you certainly do not deserve it, but God, because of His grace, His unmerited favor, pours it out on you. Hello? Now, here's the thing. (laughs) Do you want to hear the thing? (laughs) Here's the thing. I'm absolutely committed, and I know that some people disagree theologically, to the idea that once you have been saved, that's it. You cannot lose your salvation. Why do I think that? Well, because what happens is when you start to extrapolate what that means, this whole thing about I was saved but I'm not saved anymore, how on earth does that work? Okay. God's grace towards me, his unmerited favor towards me is what saved me. He saved me when I was a sinner. He saved me even though my back was turned against him. He saved me knowing what I would be like in the future. 
He saved me knowing all of the worst things about me. He saved me knowing how indisciplined I am, how unruly I am, how rebellious I am, how, how carnal I am. He understood all of those things about me intimately and he saved me. Because he loves me, because of his grace. So if I go out and sin tomorrow, does grace change? Am I suddenly unsaved? I mean, what a ridiculous notion. It, it makes a mockery of my salvation in the first place. And then what happens? Is that, is that me gone forever? Am I you know, consigned to hell forever because I sinned, because I rebelled, because I offended God again? Is that me done? What happens if I repent? Do I get born again again? How does that work? There is, there is no theological um, you know, grounding for any of that. It's just not there. God, in his incredible grace, out of his love for you, saved you. And that is the deal done. Now, there are implications after that, because Paul very quickly says after that, you know, to engage in good works that God prepared for you in advance to do. So, there, you know, there are some things that follow that which require a response from us, which require us to get engaged. But the grace of God is such that it is immovable. Hello? God does not change his mind. It says in the, in the Bible, I can't think where it is, I'm absolutely sure that it's Paul, but I can't think where the verse is. It says that God's call and his gifts are without repentance. What that means is that God does not change his mind. That if he has called you, and if he has saved you, he will not then change his mind because you stuff up again. He will not then change his mind because you have a wobbly. The grace and the call of God are, and his gifts are without repentance. He will not change his mind. Now, please, you know, let's, let's just... I don't like putting things in boxes, but let's just put that in a box. Because I don't want you to think that that means then you can just go and do what you like. But you are saved. If, if you are saved, <laughs> you're saved. And that's it. You do have a ticket to heaven. It has cost you nothing. You do have a secure eternity. That is absolutely it. It's job done. It's finished. It's the grace and the favor of God. God does not change his mind. God is not going to sit down next week and say, Ah, Russ, mate, I've been watching your life and I've changed my mind. You're no longer in. Where do you find that? Seriously. You don't. It's not there. The grace of God is not for turning. His call and his gifts are without repentance. Okay? Does not change. If you are called, you're called. If you are saved, you're saved. Now, I want, I, it really is important. I'm going to move on in a second, okay? But it really is important that you get that. Because I have spoken to people recently who have had sleepless nights because... Um, somebody has said to them that if you don't believe exactly the same things that I believe, there will be a rapture and you won't be in it. That's nonsense. The Bible does not teach that. The only way that you can lose your salvation is to throw it away through what the Bible calls apostasy. Apostasy is when you willfully and willingly uh, attribute the works of God to Satan. If you haven't done that, you're okay. If you're the slightest bit concerned that you might have done that, 
stop worrying now because if you're concerned about it you really couldn't have done it hello have we got that because it's really important now how how is all of this achieved it's achieved through the work of the cross Paul says but now in Christ Jesus you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ if the blood of Christ cleanses me from all unrighteousness then it cleanses me from all unrighteousness hello it doesn't do you know when you're in the shower now I don't want you forming any mental images now okay just kind of take the point alright you know when you're in the shower I'm like this because I'm a bit dippy I'm not sure if I cleaned everything I'm just okay right I did my I can't tell you how many times I've washed my hair and there's not much of it left to wash but I must sometimes wash my hair three or four times because I can't remember did I wash my hair you know did I do my pits you know have I missed anything the blood of Jesus listen the blood of Jesus cleanses me from all unrighteousness it doesn't miss anything it doesn't miss that bit because it's kind of I couldn't reach there I couldn't reach there I was a bit too much of a stretch in my old age to get to that bit the blood of Jesus cleanses me from all unrighteousness so every bit of it is cleansed by his blood either that works or it doesn't you know you can't have it both ways it either works or it doesn't and if it works it works it covers everything now that doesn't excuse everything but it does cover everything hello it's not okay for you to sin it's not okay for you to disrespect God and dishonor him it's not okay but the blood of Jesus cleanses you from all unrighteousness every bit of it are we there Okay. And Paul goes on to say, and this is important, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross thereby killing the hostility and he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near for through him we both have access in one spirit to the father it's it's Paul's having a a conversation here which if you hadn't quite picked it up and he's kind of contrasting in some measure the whole thing about the Jews and the Gentiles and the differences and the frictions and how all those things uh, work or don't work and he's drawing it all together here and saying it's the same for both Jew and Gentile that the blood of Jesus the work of the cross is what fixes everything and it's Jesus who is our peace that the work of the cross through what he has done leaves the path clear to get him into our lives which is what brings us peace hello if you are looking for peace in relationships you will not find it you might find it for a few fleeting moments but sooner or later it will break down if you are looking for peace in politics you will not find it you might find some answers some results that you would like but you will not remain at peace 
if you're looking for peace on a beach with a nice little drink with an umbrella in it (laughs) you will not find it you might have some relaxation and you might feel better for it but that's not peace and listen peace is not the absence of war which some people think you know we fought a war so we could have peace well we fought a war and you know we've not got any more fighting thank you Jesus but are we at peace do we have peace in our hearts and in our spirits are we at rest just because we had a war and stopped you know put some things in place so that it couldn't happen again you, you look around, you talk to your friends and your neighbors, you talk to anybody that you know, and before long you will find that people are not at peace. They are not at rest. Because Jesus is our peace. And if you haven't got Jesus, you really don't have peace. How can you go through everything that's happening in the world, everything that's happening in your life, and stay in a place of rest and quietness? Well, you can't do that without Jesus. If you have Jesus, then He is our peace. How can we go through, you know, as a church, how can we go through some of the things we've had to deal with in the last few months and still have a smile on our faces? Well, because Jesus is our peace. There is a throne in heaven. The one who sits on its name is Jesus. He holds the fabric of the universe together by his very word. If he stopped speaking that word, the fabric of the universe would fall apart. And he is our savior. He is our king. He is the lover of our soul and the lifter of our head. And Paul says he is our peace. If we have him, we have no cause to fear. We have no cause to be offended or upset or anything really because we have Jesus and we are at peace he is our peace peace is found in a person not a thing, not a place peace is found in a person and his name is Jesus and we are reconciled with God our Father because of him We don't have time particularly to go into this this morning, but let me just kind of reiterate that bit there about, um, you know, God has prepared for you in advance good works for you to do. I've said this before and I'm going to say it again because it's important. You are saved from something for something. And to get saved and then just stop there, well, you can do that, but it's not great. You can do that, but it's not what God planned. You can get saved, and then that's it. I've got my ticket to heaven, and then you can just, you know. Paul challenges this in Romans, doesn't he? He asks that question about, you know, can we then go out and and sin all the more because of this grace? And actually, I'm not sure what answer you would put in there, but actually the answer is yes, you actually can, because that's the nature of grace. Should you... No, you absolutely should not. If you are in any way thankful, appreciative for what God has done for you and you want to honor him, then you will try to live a life that honors him, that blesses him. You will engage with the good things that God has prepared in advance for you to do. You will get a hold of those things and you will give it your best efforts. You will plow yourself into it. 
Why? Not because you have to, not because God is leaning over heaven's balcony with a big stick ready to whack you if you take a step out of turn, but because you love him, because you're grateful, because he saved you, because your life was a mess and you were destined for hell and he reached down into that life and he pulled you out of that pit and what does it say in the Psalms? He put your feet on a rock and put a new song in your heart, a hymn of praise, a hymn of thanksgiving. That's what, if we appreciate and understand what God has done for us, that's what should come out of us. A hymn of praise, a hymn of thanksgiving, a desire to serve Him and honor Him with the rest of our lives. That is normal Christianity. And it's, and it's the appropriate response to this wonderful grace of God. Now listen, grace does not demand it because grace demands nothing. Because the minute you add a demand to grace, it stops being grace. Hello? But it is the appropriate response of lives that have been saved. It is the appropriate response of people who have come out of darkness and into light to want to follow Jesus and give him the whole of our lives. Part of that, and this is where I want to finish, is this. You have been recipients of God's grace. In more ways than we have time to list this morning, in more ways than you probably know or understand, you have been a recipient of God's grace, God's love, His unmerited favor. You are now given a grace franchise. You have become His distributor. That the grace that you have been given is grace for you to share. It is grace for you to share in terms of leading other people into that place of grace, leading them to Jesus, letting them start that conversation, letting them discover firsthand for themselves His grace and His love for them. But that franchise of grace goes beyond that. We are supposed to extend grace to one another. You can't have unity without grace. So Paul says some very wonderful things about our togetherness here. He says we're no longer strangers and aliens. That's great. Um, You are fellow citizens. We are together citizens. We are the household of God. We are being built together into a dwelling place for God. We are in this together. The only way this is ever going to work is if we have grace for one another. You know, when Jesus, Jesus says a lot of times, you know, love one another, love one another, love one another, love one another. It's the same thing. You can use the word interchangeably. Love one another, have grace, show grace towards one another. Be merciful. Be faithful. Show love, encourage, build up, strengthen. That is your franchise. To show grace to one another. It doesn't mean we have to agree. Hello? (laughs) You're allowed to disagree. I have no idea, you know, I mean politically, I have no idea really where most of us stand because we don't very often have those conversations I don't know whether you voted in or out or shake it all about I, I, you know, I don't know and if you want to have those conversations I'm happy to have those conversations but listen, whatever the conversation 
my franchise is grace which allows you to have a different opinion from mine but it's still to be joined at the heart and love one another and live in unity together are you with me you have a franchise of grace to show grace to one another to show grace to me please Actually, you guys do pretty good with that. I've got to be honest, you know, I, I listen to, you know, in my role as the kind of the, the zone leader for the AOG, I listen to some pastors talking and their congregations give them horrible lives. That is true. It's, I don't understand it. I really don't get it. Yeah. <laughs> and I've got to tell you, you know, you can all pat each other on the back. You do, you guys really do great on that front because... I've never felt uh, threatened or bullied, or occasionally manipulated, but never threatened or bullied. Um, you know, I've I've not had any I've not had anybody in my face shouting at me. She's allowed because we're married, and that's good. Yeah, you wouldn't believe the way some people treat their leaders, or maybe you would believe it. Uh, that's never happened to me here and, and I'm thankful to God for that and I'm thankful to you for that you've always been very gracious we need to show grace to one another yeah. you know love does not require that we agree it requires that we care for each other anyway and that is our franchise we who have received so much grace from God, so much of his love in so many different ways in our lives, now are called to start operating in our franchise and start distributing that to everybody else. In the church, in the community where we live, in the office where we work, whatever is going on, to hold fast to Jesus who is our peace and to exercise grace. Grace that allows people to hold different views. And, and this is kind of part of the thing that brought me to this place this morning. That actually, you know, let me just say this, and I am closing, but this, I just want you to get this, because it's part of grace. I have been studying the Bible for 42 years. I spent six years in formal study at one of the best Bible colleges in Europe. I have two degrees in theology. I have studied eschatology. If you're not used to those sorts of words, it means the, what happens in the end, the end times, all of that stuff. One of the things that I have discovered in my studies is that actually, and this is just one area of theology, there are, what well, I think three, but some people say four, I think three different views that you can come to from what the scriptures teaches. There are three different principal streams of eschatology that are biblically sustainable now they can't all three be right okay but you can arrive soundly at that conclusion reading what the bible says now i understand those three views i understand the fourth view but i'm not so convinced about that but i certainly understand those three views and i know which one i think is the right one okay you might pick a different view it's okay it's all right now there are some things which we really can't disagree on. Jesus is Lord. The only way to salvation is through him. You know? We can't disagree on that otherwise we're not Christians. But there are so many other things that we could disagree on legitimately. 
well it's okay but we've got to be gracious to one another we have got to be gracious to one another we have got to continue to relate to one another in a loving way to love each other to care about each other to look for the best in each other and for each other whilst we continue having our sometimes animated conversations about the things we disagree on theologically hello because that's grace yes okay you have been recipients of incredible grace and now we are called to be the franchises of it yes let's stand I want to pray for us and then we'll go and have some coffee just remembering the the cry of the disciples when Jesus calms the storm and they say what manner of man is this that even the wind and the waves obey him and just that phrase what manner of man is this what kind of man is this what kind of man is this that would leave the comfort of heaven for our sakes that would leave all that worship and glory and come down and live a life as a man ultimately to give his life in the most painful and humiliating way on a cross for our sakes what manner of man is this that having given his life for us now pours out every blessing upon us and draws us up into the heavenly places to be seated with him and invests in us power and authority and gives us incredible tasks to to do and journeys to make what manner of man is this this man is Jesus he is our Jesus he is the Lord of the universe he is our saviour he is our helper he is our provider he is our healer he is the one who lifts our head and encourages us day by day to do that which is right and holy and good and Jesus this morning we worship you because there is nobody like you there is none beside you we lift your name up as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords we worship you we thank you for all of your goodness we thank you for your faithfulness and this morning we thank you particularly that you have poured your grace upon us that you have poured your grace into our lives that you have shown your love to us in so many ways that we couldn't list them or count them and we just say to you Lord God we are grateful for all that you have done and thank you that you stick closer than a brother thank you that you are our friend thank you that you will never leave us or forsake us even though we might wiggle and squirm a bit sometimes even though we might run in the other direction you say I will never leave you or forsake you because you love us thank you Jesus and I pray that the Lord will bless you that he would keep you that he would draw close to you, that you would know even in these moments now and in these coming days and weeks, that you would know that he is right there with you. That even when you're not thinking about him or not talking to him, even when he's the furthest person from your thoughts, he stands beside you because you are on his mind all the time. I pray that you would just have that knowledge within yourself that the God of heaven loves you and wants to be close to you I pray that you would know his favour that some of those things that seem to be forever going wrong would start to go right because God is at work and that you would know that blessing that you would know his favour 
that he would draw close to you and that you would know that he is your peace. That whatever it is you face, you can get through it. Because Jesus, the Prince of Peace, is right there. He is your peace. And whilst he is there, the road might get rocky, but we will get through it. And we can get through it with a smile on our face and joy in our hearts because he is our peace. I pray that you would know that, that you would live in that, and that it would be a great blessing to you as you seek to serve and honor him with your life. Be blessed in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.